G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Episode 10 of Series 7 of This Week in Startups Australia. Scaling is the hardest task facing a startup entrepreneur. Harder than getting started, harder than getting to an MVP, harder than getting investment. Scaling is hard. But there are any number of startups who have scaled successfully, including a few that have already been on Twista, such as Canva, Envato, Catapult, and Airtasker. What can we learn from their successes in scaling? That's our theme for Series 7. As we learned in Episode 8, scaling means different things at different points in an entrepreneur's career. Anna Wright and Maps are just getting started scaling. But what happens when you get a bit bigger and grow a bit faster? We'll speak with a founder who's further along on the path to success, asking what we might need to know as we scale into growth on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, driving the next generation of entrepreneurs. UTS is equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build the foundation for a successful career. To find out more about entrepreneurship at UTS and the UTS Startups Program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by .co, the domain name for innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, and creators growing extraordinary ideas online. Your brand wasn't built to blend in, so don't let it. Get a .co domain that's as unique and memorable as your one-of-a-kind idea. Find your .co today at .co slash Twista and take advantage of freebies, tools, and resources to get your idea off the ground. That's www.go.co slash Twista. And This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Are you a small business looking to streamline costs on shipping and postage? Simplify and save with SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. Visit them online at pitneybowes.com slash au slash twista. At the end of this month, I'm going to be flying overseas to do a bit of work, facilitating. Now, in this case, I'm going to be facilitating a rapprochement between regulators and an industry that has largely resisted regulation. And I'm not going to go into details here, but it's important to note this is effectively an emergency meeting. It's been called by the industry to forestall regulation that could put them out of business. And it's really quite serious. And it didn't need to happen. And there are many examples of industries that have adopted self-regulation and have thus avoided the implacable force of law. Regulation, whether it's voluntary or imposed, it requires compliance with specific practices. Now, that is always a drain on a business. And it's a big reason why businesses dread compliance. But... Where there's dread, there's also opportunity. And over the last three years, we've seen a rising number of startups embrace the problems of compliance, 
creating a whole ecosystem of regtech products, tools and services that make it easier to do the right thing, the safe thing, the good thing. As this is likely to be one of the highest growth areas in startup land over the next few years, Twista is chuffed to be speaking with Jackie Jones, the founder and CEO of Way We Do, one of Australia's most successful reg tech startups. Jackie, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. It's lovely to be here. All right. So tell me about Way We Do. What do you do? Yeah. Um, Way We Do is an active platform for policies, procedures and processes. So we essentially take static word-based documents and we turn those into active tools that the team use in their day-to-day workflow. So typically um, some or many organisations have policies and procedures in place but they end up not always being used. So they're usually um, printed in a a folder and it ends up on the shelf um, or it's on the virtual shelf in cloud storage and people forget that it's there. They're not actively using it. So our platform solves the problem of what we call dusty documents and we prompt the team to keep following policy and procedure in the day-to-day work. How do you prompt them to do that? Uh, we do that in several ways. So um, so the way we do um, as a software platform, we are a fusion between business process management, knowledge ma- management, compliance and workflow. So when our customers use um, our activated checklist, um, they're using it as either a workflow tool or a training tool. And as the team go through steps of a process, we're showing the policy and procedure um, in context of the step that they're working upon. And then we're capturing data around what the team are actually doing, so ticking steps off as being complete, um, and they add comments. They can attach photos and um, other documents to verify the work that they have done. So it sounds like every business has its own set of policies and procedures, so what you're doing is also then creating something that's going to be very specific to the business at hand? Yes, that's that is correct. I mean, there is we call them horizontal and vertical um, policies and procedures. So there are um, practices that occur across all businesses, such as HR practices and finance um, uh, best practices, um, and then there are the vertical practices that relate to that specific industry and the nuances of that um, particular business. So I guess there is, there's different types of compliance. So there's regulatory compliance, there's um, industry compliance where um, organisations are members of certain associations and they need to deliver work at a certain um, standard. And then within businesses um, itself, they, they may have their own set of policies and um, or ways of working and they want the team to ad- adhere to those. So we really do have three very interesting zones where way we do can actually be put to work inside of an organisation. Do you find customers gravitating more to one versus another? It depends on the business and and it's interesting because you can have two businesses from the same industry and one business will take their compliance more seriously than the other. And uh, and I know for many organisations, compliance is a bit of a a bugbear, it's a bit of a a nuisance, but others see it as an opportunity to improve their business um, because if you are not only complying with the law, um, I mean, these rules are designed 
I mean, so some people call it red tape, but for others, it's a way of creating um, excellence or um, creating best practices with an organisation so that you can grow and scale that business. Right, and also to create an audit trail so that if something goes wrong, you can actually take a look at the process and figure out where in that process things went off the rails, all of these reasons, right? Absolutely, and... And that's useful for many reasons. First of all, um, business efficiency. So what can you do to improve processes to reduce cost in the business? But also when things go wrong in the business and there's potential harm or risk um, to the business, what can you do to mitigate that um, from happening in the future so that um, you're preventing those issues um, fr from occurring, which will then, again, reduce cost um, or reduce fines and penalties. It ensures that customers and employees are protected. And it's interesting because different industries have had different attitudes toward this. Like in healthcare, they tend to be very, very compliant and very careful because that's just the tradition there. Mm. Finance, sometimes yes, yes, sometimes no. <laughs> and when it's a no, it gets into trouble. But then there's other whole sectors where they haven't necessarily seen the need. But then OHS would come in or human resources would come in and say, look, actually, we need these practices, right? Yes. All right. So what we're seeing then is that there's a, there's a growing need for this kind of solution, but we're also seeing how specific the solution is to the texture of a specific business. Does that then mean that you're not selling a one-size-fits-all solution? Well, for the way we do, we're selling a software platform for any business to manage their policies, procedures and processes um, within it and to capture data around um, the team following those particular processes and doing what they're meant to be doing. So the content uh, aspect of that, so the actual policy, the actual procedure, that usually comes from the, the client themselves. Uh, for larger organisations, they typically have a compliance team or a business optimization team already employed within the organisation. Others will employ an external consultant and then others choose to do it themselves. So it's really up to the, the business owner and depending on, I guess, the level of risk um, that business faces or that organisation faces will determine who they need to bring into the organisation to help them right. achieve if, that. If it's, if it's highly regulated, high, highly risky, you're probably going to get a professional in there to oh, absolutely. You de develop your compliance yes. practice versus just, oh, well, we're going to take on an informal process and make yes. it formal. Yeah. And I also find it interesting that people, or different people, different roles in the organisation, they view policies and procedures <laughs> in different ways. And so those that are more, business owners that are more sales led, they tend not to take their policies and procedures as seriously as someone like an accountant or um, a lawyer, for example. So they appreciate um, what, um, what the consequences will be. So if we talk about then what that means in terms of a sales cycle, right, what does that mean in terms of you being able to sell into a company? If you're selling into a company and you're selling them a package, but you're selling them a package that then they have to build on top of to get their own product out of it, to get what they need out of it. Does that mean, because a lot of software companies, they're selling you a solution, they're selling you an accounting package, or they're selling you a marketing package, or they're selling you a CRM package, and kind of know what you're getting. With this, it sounds like it's it, it's got to be a partnership between you and the client to be able to actually turn that into uh, something that's usable by them. Uh, yes and no. So we have some customers that simply subscribe to Way We Do and they start using Way We Do out of the box and 
they start implementing um, and setting up their own policies and procedures. Others do want more assistance and they want assistance either from us or from um, other consultants who can assist them to implement the way we do in their organisation. And, and that entails um, looking at the actual documents or so the actual policies and uh, all the actions that, um, that need to happen from that particular policy, which then turn into procedures. And then once those items are set up within the way we do, there's, there is a change management process um, involved where you need to train the team, you need to teach them about why they're using um, way we do and why that you know, these policies and procedures are important and how it's going to add value not only to the organisation but also to their own um, particular role. Now, we'll come back and talk about you scaling as a business, but I guess what we, first thing I'm aware of is does that mean that your sales process is so human that there's so much connectivity around it that it's slower to scale than someone who's just sort of pushing an accounting package out to market? Well, I think if you look at other types of web applications and other software or technology products, um, an accounting package still requires time to set up mm. and implement mm-hmm. and then you start using it. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the CRM system. So if you're using an existing one, you're uh, migrating um, data and you're setting up all the, the fields and the processes um, within that CRM system. So like way we do is the same. So some customers, they may start small with only a handful of um, policies, procedures and processes, where others they do um, load, it can be anywhere from 200, 300, up to 1,000 different processes. So Yeah. Okay. And, so, right. and it, it takes time. Like right. for some organisations, they get value from the platform from day one. Others, they will expand upon what they're doing and reiterate what they do over a period of time. And so what, then I guess what we're seeing is that the price of entry here is roughly the same, whether no matter what package you're using, you have to learn how to use the software. You're going to have to build some data into the software. Yes, that, that is correct. So you need to enter your processes and your policies and your procedures and they can come from anywhere. Um, what we're doing is helping customers gain value and um, extract the value from those policies and procedures to ensure that the team are doing what they're meant to be doing. We're talking to Jackie Jones of Way We Do on This Week in Startups Australia and we will be right back. Developing entrepreneurial skills is at the heart of the student experience at the University of Technology, Sydney. UTS students are creating their own jobs and starting their own companies through the flagship program UTS Startups. Within its first year, the program has launched more than 200 student startups, and they're just getting started. Equipping students with the tools and expertise to become entrepreneurs, then connecting them to industry partners in the startup ecosystem is all part of their innovative approach. UTS is connecting thousands of talented students to industry and works closely with a network of partners to match students and startups through their startup internship program. As a leading university of technology and Australia's number one young university, UTS is investing heavily in this future right now. UTS's inner city campus is also uniquely positioned in Sydney's thriving tech precinct to be the catalyst for digital and creative industries and the startup community. Join them on the journey building Australia's largest community of student entrepreneurs. 
Go to startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. at Way We Do, one of the burgeoning reg tech startups here in Australia. All right, so, so Jackie, how does a business come to the idea that they need to use Way We Do? Is it, oh my God, we need this, or is it, wait, this, there, there's a better way of doing things, or is it all of the above? I think it, it's all of the above, and it depends on the organisation and the business owner or the managers um, within that organisation. So for larger organisations and particular industries like construction or finance uh, or health, um, for example, they they know about compliance as part of their DNA policies, procedure and process is what they've been doing for the last Right, 50 years or so. Um, whereas smaller businesses, they may not have those practices in place as yet, but as they start to grow, they typically get to a point where they're unable to grow as quickly as what they, they could be, or maybe there's some frustrations that come about where maybe the team keep asking them for um, or disrupting the business owner um, on how to do something. Um, maybe they're, they're growing very quickly and they're onboarding lots of people and people are tripping over each other because they don't really know what their role is and what they need to do. And, and that can impact productivity and ultimately it impacts um, uh, revenues and cost in the so business. We, we come back to the central question of Series 7 around scale, which is that any business, when they're scaling, will encounter issues that you need to develop policies around. The policy is actually one of the accelerators to scale, which is a question or a point that we actually hadn't come to in this show. Yes. Um, I, I think also um, business owners have a vision of what they want their business to be. And when you bring in other people into the business, they bring their ideas and way of doing things um, as well. And and that's great. Um, and you want all of those really great ideas. Um, but ultimately, it's about um, realising um, a vision. So whether that's um, the vision from the original business owner or you're creating a shared vision um, amongst the team, um, having your policies, procedures and processes enable you to create that really strong foundation so that everyone knows what they need to do in order to reach the goals and the vision for that business or organisation. I like that. It's a very positive framing. So it takes it out of this, oh, my God, we've got to comply to here's a way we can all share in the vision. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about sharing in your vision now. <laughs> you founded this company, is it six years ago now? That's correct. All right, so you founded the company six years ago. What was your vision when you got started? It was several fold. So um, initially uh, we were working with other business owners and we could see that those business owners were struggling with uh, creating uh, standardised processes um, in their business and they were using different tools um, to help them do that. So some people were simply using paper and pen to mm -hmm. write things down. Mm -hmm. Other people just emailing the team with notes, hey, do this, do that. Um, others were using uh, PowerPoint or 
Evernote or Excel. Excel, of course. And, and what's interesting about Excel, it's not just small business using Excel. I've seen major corporations, global corporations using Excel <laughs> yes. and it's the wrong tool for the job. And <laughs> When all you have is a hammer. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so we wanted to make it easy for people and, um, and at that time um, our business was called Keyword Intent and we um, were a software company but also offering um, internet marketing services um, to clients and we were onboarding new team members and we wanted them to get up to speed with the way that we were doing things in business. And so at that time we were looking for tools um, such as wikis, we were looking at WordPress and um, other tools available and there wasn't really anything on the market that met this particular need mm. um, or the way that we saw this type of product or software working. Um, also, I mean, policies, procedure and process has been a long, been around for a very long time and there have been older style um, uh, software or desktop um, applications and the usability of those weren't so great. So we thought, well, we can solve this problem and make it really easy for everyone. So you identified the pain point and then identified the right solution to meet the pain point. Which yes. Is sort of, I guess that that's the classic entrepreneurial aha moment. Absolutely. All right. So you've had six years now growing, scaling the business. What have you learned in those six years about how to keep a software business growing and scaling over that period of time? There's lots of juggling. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of the lessons uh, and advice that I give to other uh, SaaS providers and other technology um, providers is to be global from day one. So with the way we do, when we launched our first minimal viable product, we um, went online and, and we had customers from around the world sign up to the product and go, oh my goodness, I've been looking for a solution um, just like this. And and also listening to your customers. So they're going to tell you exactly what they want from the product uh, and and it's taking that feedback and then prioritizing it in a way that... Okay, now there's the magic there. It's a prioritizing <laughs> because every customer is going to have its own list. So how do you figure out the signal from the noise there? Yeah, that, that's interesting because, because sometimes it feels like everyone wants something uniquely to their business. But you do find the common threads across those, um, across that, uh, those uh, requests. And... And I think you also need to make an assessment of – because sometimes customers will actually present a solution to you rather than what the problem that they're actually experiencing. They jumped all the way to the end. That's right, yeah. And they go, oh, it'd be great if it just did X, Y, Z. And so – and I think as a software provider, you need to really, first of all, understand the problem mm. um, because the solution that they may be presenting may not be the right solution. And – and once you see that there is commonality across customers, um, those are the ones that we tend to prioritise first. Um, sometimes we do implement other uh, items because there's a, a, a priority customer or someone who could uh, make a huge difference in the business to attract other customers on board. Yeah, and of course, those are always the kinds of the juggling that you're talking yes. about there. Yep. Now, when you talk about that juggling, has the quality of that juggling changed as you've both matured as a business and as you've matured as an entrepreneur? Do you find you're making your decisions differently or with more thought or with more experience? I think um, as you grow, um, 
and and particularly if we look at a platform like way we do where it can like any industry any type of business can use the platform mm. um, as you start to grow you start to look at well which industries do we actually want to focus upon and where we can improve traction um, within um, overall and also within a particular industry so so sometimes you start to put weight on certain features or functions that would meet a particular industry's need, um, um, perhaps. So, um, so I think focus is is really important, uh, and and that will actually tie into the overall strategy and the markets and customers that you want to target. Do you ever worry that as you become more specific, you become less interesting to other potential customers as a result? I mean, is that part of the the balancing, the juggling that's going on? Uh, there is that risk, absolutely. Um, and but with the way we do, we don't necessarily want to turn um, businesses away. But um, in terms with any organisation, they have limited marketing and um, um, sales budget um, mm. available. So you need to use that resource, you know, very wisely. And uh, and there could be certain um, features or and sometimes it's not even the feature. And maybe it's the way that you present. The solution to the customer. Um, that's how you can use that budget in, in that um, that context. So you're not ignoring everyone um, or others, but you're placing more emphasis on a particular market. Okay. Now you've been in this for six years. You haven't taken any investment, is my understanding. No. <laughs> Why? Why? Um, it's interesting. So to begin with, we so Dan Sargent is our CTO and um, and my, myself as CEO. So we're both founders um, of the business. And initially, we saw that uh, some startups were going to incubators and accelerators, and and we looked at that originally as though, oh, but surely investors, they want to see traction. So how about... Yes. So how about <laughs> we just create a minimal viable product, we'll start to get customers on board, and at that point, that's when we'll go, um, go to investors. Um, but at the same time, um, we had this other business running um, called Keyword Intent, and so so way we do started as this part-time project mm -hmm. and it just grew over time and so for maybe two or three years we we're transitioning from this old business to this new one and and now we've, we've we're fully um, focused on way we do with um, investors we, we did actually start uh, pitching for investment um, we were the finalists uh, for um, river pitch in 2015 and in 2017 um, or actually it was 2018 and this year uh, we have been uh, seeking seed funding for the business um, we haven't been successful with that and the reason being is that the longer which i believe um, this is the case so the longer that you leave um, seeking investment um, seed funders or angel investors want to see certain traction at certain points in time. Mm. So because we're now six years um, or six years old, that, you know, maybe they're, they're certain, wanting to see a certain level of traction, which we're, we're currently not at as yet. But we're still doing great as a business. We still have some amazing customers. We're um, financially um, stable. So we actually don't need, need right which is the funding. best place to actually yeah. raise money from when you don't need it yes um but also i think um for our type of product and maybe it's a it's a challenge that we're facing um, and i'm being transparent here <laughs> uh, that 
some customers, uh, sorry, some investors may not see policy and procedure being that sexy and uh, and it's not the cool thing, it's not the cool kid on the block. So the funny thing about this, the first time I ever heard the word regtech being used, I'm on stage at the launch conference in San Francisco next to Cyan Bannister listening to all these companies pitch and a company pitched and Cyan, who's a very serious investor, came up and said, oh my God, I love regtech. I'm so behind it. And this is, I, I had the penny drop moment going, this is the future. This is absolutely the next place that software needs to go because yes. we do live in a world with procedures and policies, and if we can't have software to help us with that, what good is it? Yes. Do you think then that perhaps Australia's investors are not necessarily fully sophisticated across RegTech yet? I think potentially could even be broader than that. So absolutely, uh, they, right. they don't understand RegTech. Um, for some of them, um, policies and procedures, they just associate that with red tape and it's boring, it's not as sexy as some other um, software. I think um, from, for just from my observation, they tend to be, they, they tend to be waiting um, B2C um, mm -hmm. products um, more so and maybe because they understand it better. Well, they're also capital intensive, so it gives them more opportunity to invest. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope that this little exploration will help I guess, make RegTech as sexy and as exciting as it really should be. Jackie, thank you very much for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. A strong online presence is non-negotiable in today's market. Whether it's your primary location for sales and trade, or you just want to have some key information online so people can discover your business, your website is the core of your online brand. When it comes to choosing a domain name for your website, there are now countless options of domain extensions to choose from. But if you're looking for a domain that is short, SEO-friendly, global, and truly supports your business, go with .co. .co is the domain name for innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, and creators growing their extraordinary ideas online. With more names available than any other legacy namespace, .co is for everyone who is hustling hard and building something awesome. With freebies, resources, and tools for startups available even to those without a .co domain, check out www.go.co slash Twista today and find the perfect .co domain for your big idea. .co, where big ideas belong on the web. Launch Festival Sydney is just around the corner. It's a two-day event on June 18th and 19th, and we launched our startup competition. It's open to all startups that have a product in market. The deadline to apply is just around the corner. It's June 4th, and we'll be picking 20 startups from that group to pitch on stage. And the winner is going to get $100,000, 100 large from us, Jason Calacanis and the Launch Fund. And we will accept you into our accelerator program here in San Francisco. This is pending due diligence. So we got to make sure that what you said you built and the facts about your business are true. But last year, we said we'd invest in one and we invested in three. We tripled our investment. We said 100,000 investment. 
we did three investments of $100,000. And that include Amchar, Takeoffs, and Etsy. And we've also introduced them to dozens of investors here in Silicon Valley. And two out of those three startups have raised millions of dollars. And the third one, I'm sure, when they graduate the program, will also do the same. I want you to go to launchfestivalsydney.com slash competition right now. Launchfestivalsydney.com slash competition. Also, if you haven't registered for the free founder passes, we've got about 200 left. They're going quickly. And you can get yours at launchfestivalsydney.com. Sorry, it's a long URL. Slash founder pass. One word. Launchfestivalsydney.com slash founder pass. Just so you know, we do these events because we want to meet founders, meet investors, and find investments. That's why we give 95% of the tickets away for free to founders. Now, if you're a lawyer, an accountant, or an investor, shoot the lock off your wallet and buy a ticket at launchfestivalsydney.com slash tickets, and you get to come to a nice dinner or maybe have dinner with me. That's all fine and good for the founders. You can bring a peanut butter and jelly brown bag and have a little bit of Thai food down the street from the festival and not have to spend any money on the tickets. We want all founders, whether you're broke or you got a little bit of cheddar, Whatever you got, that's okay with us. We want you in the building. We want you learning, and we want to meet you, and we eventually want to be on your cap table and invest in your company. So if you have a startup that's already launched it in market, this is not a business plan competition, we want you to apply right now at launchfestivalsydney.com slash competition. Maybe you will walk away with a $100,000 investment from me, Jason Calacanis, in just a couple of weeks. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, let's get back to Mark Pesci and This Week in Startups Australia. Go, Mark. Are you a small business or small e-tailer looking for better ways to streamline costs and improve efficiency? Introducing SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes, the complete office sending solution that makes it easy for small businesses and e-tailers to consistently choose the right sending option for each parcel or letter. SendPro Plus provides shipping options and prices, prints labels, and tracks parcels. An integrated accurate scale helps assign the correct parcel label or postage. SendPro Plus makes sending simple with automatic rate updates and a shared address book across available carriers. Pitney Bowes brings shipping, mailing, and tracking capabilities to businesses looking to simplify their shipping and mailing while reducing costs. Simplify and save with SendPro Plus today and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. To learn more, visit pitneybowes.com au slash twista. Listening to Jackie Jones talk about the troubles she's been having raising capital for a reg tech startup, you can feel the disconnect between what a good business is and what an investor sees as a good business. Investors are often confused or upset or frustrated by red tape. And in some sense, that's created an enormous blind spot for investors because they don't see the solution to the pain point that they're experiencing themselves. They can't see the value in it. And as a result, they're projecting their own anger and their own frustrations onto a startup that's actually doing everything it can to solve those problems. Now, 
Whether that's going to slow down the acceptance of regtech more generally is another question. All businesses need regtech, but if it cuts investors off from understanding the value of making early placements in regtech startups, well, that's just going to be an opportunity for an investor who isn't as consumed by their own feelings. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Pitney Bowes, UTS Startups, and Co. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to the studio at Winyard Green for providing the amazing facility where we record this week in Startups Australia. It's the place for creative tech. Find out more at thestudio.org.au. Thanks to Jackie Jones for making the time to come on our show. Now, last year, we rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links, and all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back next week talking to some of the most exciting startups to come out of the upcoming Launch Festival Sydney. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.